0: This is Pixel Splitters, your absolute favorite conversation movie news podcast. With your hosts, Josh.
1: It doesn't really matter if you're in a theater
0: or sitting on your couch. And Willis. And I say that loving doing this podcast, but that's like insane. Join us each week as we break down the latest movie news, TV news, and general industry news and debate about what it all really is. So with the strikes ongoing, uh I don't want to say we are low on topics to talk about, but like we're limited. There's yeah, there's not a ton going on, but we are still here. Um we are still filling in on what's going on. Uh and part of that involves covering the strikes. Um, the most recent revelation of which is uh there has been a suspension of a lot of writer producer packs, I guess you'll say.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, from big the different ones. studios um, of like, yeah, big, big names. Um, and so, you know, the studios just keep digging instead of trying to fix everything. But yep. we're going to talk about that. Um, we're also going to talk. I feel like in that it's getting kind of folly out. We're going to talk about horror films. Yeah. Um, something that I don't have a lot of information about, but Josh <laughs> has uh, probably lots.
1: too much. Yeah
0: probably too much uh and just like how horror films play into the uh the mindset of the average moviegoer and why they always seem to do uh incredibly well yeah um and finally we're going to talk about rotten tomatoes because there's been some uh we'll say conversation about rotten tomatoes and uh how it does its ratings and what it means and how impactful that is etc etc uh yeah. So lots to talk about. But before we do that, Josh, what do you got in terms of uh, releases this week? So we're
1: not at this very moment, but we are going to start seeing the impacts of these strikes. And not just the strikes, but obviously it's the studios for not paying their writers and their actors fairly. We're starting to see that happen because as I'm looking down the list, there are less and less releases coming out each week. So this week for theaters, we have camp hideout coming on September 15th, as well as haunting in Venice. Kenneth Branagh's latest, I think, what is this? Agatha Christie. What's his oh, name? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's,
0: um, Perot. yeah. Hercule Perot, Yeah.
1: Yes. Uh, which I have not Movies. liked the last two, but I'm going to keep maybe watching this when it it's VOD at some point. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, um, I've seen both the other ones. I have <laughs> I've seen fun. both the other ones somehow. <laughs> um, but that's really it that's coming to theaters this week. There's still lots of good stuff to see, so don't let that sway you. Either way, um, for streaming, we have The Morning Show Season 3 coming back on the 13th on Apple TV+. Uh, and Wilderness coming to Prime on the 15th. And for movies, we have Kelsey coming to Prime on the 12th. We have Marisol coming to VOD on the 12th. We have Final Cut coming to VOD on the 12th. We have Freestyle hitting netflix on the 13th we have a million miles away hitting prime on the 15th i believe that's the michael peña movie which i don't yep. know really much about but i, I love michael peña so whatever he's in thumbs up here yep. and then uh el conde coming to netflix on the 15th as you can see there's really not that mu- <laughs> there's really not that not much coming yeah. out and i think it's only going to get worse from here so uh, i guess with that let's um talk a little bit about the strikes going on here <laughs>
0: It seems like these conversations these days always start with Warner Brothers.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know how
0: or why. But, uh, I mean, shout out David Zaslav. But uh, <laughs> Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers Discovery uh, has suspended the writer-producer packs for some of their major creators. Yes. Uh, that includes uh, Greg Berlanti, Mindy Kaling, J.J. Abrams. Donald Glover, Lisa Joy, and Jonah Nolan. Um, well, those last two are from Amazon. But uh yeah, like but basically saying, um, yeah, we're not um we're not gonna make this stuff. We're not gonna, you know, make things with you. Right. Um, you know, uh these these deals are usually like an agreement to produce or have first look or, you know, right. create film or TV for uh, the various studios. Um, You know, and it's usually like, Hey, they'll like bring a project to the studio or what have you. And, you know, collaborate and put something together. Uh, Right. Not so much anymore.
1: Yeah. And a lot of these partnerships are just quote unquote paused for now. So when they start to pay people correctly, they might continue on, but it's weird because to me, it's like, how is that possible? I mean, I guess maybe this was built into the contract or something, but I'm like, it seems like this is just a stopping of a con- contractual agreement, you know? Yeah. Which I think strikes obviously are going to upset that and, and do some things and and change some things, but it it feels very, because the other thing that I read was that a lot of the partnerships that were were going to expire soon they're just going to let expire and they're they're taking this as an opportunity to kind of clear their slate a bit from stuff that they might not really want to do which is kind of an ugly look as well but i'm kind of like yeah so what does this mean like how was this built into the contract or like how does this work for people like jj abrams who obviously has his own production company and yeah was in writing that he, you know, I don't know what his deal exactly looked like, but they, Mindy Kaling had like a first look deal. And like a lot of these people did for this studio. And so I'm like, how do you, like rather than paying your writers more, rather than paying your actors more, what you're going to do is suspend all of these highly profitable people's projects indefinitely. Yeah.
0: Like what, what's going on here? (laughs) So the thing I've been, and we should, we should clarify, this is like, you know, a, a list of big time, a list writers that are having these suspended. They, there have been other ones that have been suspended since the WGA first went on strike uh, in May. Um, these were the holdouts um, you know, that were like, well, yeah, like <laughs> Mike Schur, um and Sam yeah. Ismail, uh, Chuck yeah. Lore, which is like a huge name, Dan, huge Lee, name, like, you know, like these are huge, huge, massive names. Um, and they're just like, nah. And t- like, so to go back to your question, I'm like, what are they doing? Like. Just losing money. <laughs> it is just losing money, but it's like, what, like, is it an attempt to, like, break the strikes? Is this, like, a, oh, like, is the mentality here, if we suspend our deal with Mindy Kaling, that's going to make it look like the high tier people are, like, also vulnerable and everyone, like, the BCD e-list writers or whatever are going to see that and like despair. And like, like, I don't, I don't get what Warner brothers thinks they're going to accomplish with this other than like, just kind of putting a bad taste in like JJ Abrams mouth for Warner brothers. Right. And like, the, the, I feel like this is also just like the tip of the iceberg kind of thing. Yeah. Like this could just like, they could be, yeah, we're not doing any of this across the board yeah which i suppose i get like if you're it's like i don't get it but i'm trying to like see it from the studio's perspective yeah like where Um, are they coming from like i just and especially i mean like if you're looking if you're david zaslov and you're ceo of warner brother discovery like and you have you know billions of dollars in in debt I mean, maybe you're getting something by canceling these deals and you're just like, well, that's a cost we don't have now. But, like, that's also your revenue source.
1: Right. If you cancel all like, of
0: J.J. Abrams's
1: projects coming up, and, and that's the thing is, like, I think there's such a gray area with what's happening because they didn't say ended. They said suspended, yeah. which means that, like, when, quote-unquote, when these strikes, like, end, this will... Happened again but like you're going after the big dogs dude you're going after people who don't really give a shit that are like you know i mean they care obviously but they're like yo i'm good with not working for probably the next five to fifty years so like we're cool but it's like it's it's just you're going after the wrong people right now not that they're going after them i think this is just like a money saving tactic like you said but i'm like jj abrams don't give a shit if you know like he wants to work but other than that he's good
0: like yeah. Well, and like the thing, too, is like if you're Warner Brothers Discovery and you're HBO or your Max and you're like looking to draw creators to you to like draw subscribers to you. Like this is just going to look like a negative. Yeah. Like you said, because like these guys, you know, as much as it, it sucks are probably not strap they're not feeling the well i don't want to say they're not feeling but they're like it is not as devastating to them as it is to other members of the wga right and like you know like what's to keep jj abrams from calling sony or calling a universal
1: yeah yeah
0: or universal yeah or any of these or neon and being like hey you know in the middle of a contract dispute Warner brothers discovery told me to go fuck myself. Like, yeah. What do you guys want to do together? You know, like it's, it's right. I get it, but I feel like it's like a solution for the moment. That's going to have bigger implications next year. Yeah. Yeah. But I will say it also makes it feel like there's like no end in sight for this strike. This is not a, Which,
1: Oh, here we go. Type of thing. It's like a, eh, we're going to
0: prolong this. <laughs> yeah. And it's a weird thing because I, I don't know about you, but like, I'm starting to get to the point where I feel like I figured this would be wrapped up maybe not by September, but like by October, November, I was like, I, I kind of was like, that was the timeline I imagined in my head yeah. based on, you know, very little actual information, but I'm like, sure. this has been Going on a long time now. And like, the fact the studios t- seem to be just like, well, let's like adjust these things, you know, so that we can continue on the current path that we're on is like not great. No. You know, they're kind of just like settling in for a long haul, which I mean is like I we've said dozens of times on this. Like these strikes are no good for either side. Yeah. And it's Negative just going to build animosity. Yeah. And like, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I guess there is something to be said for like these contracts, you know, probably had like paychecks involved, you know, sure. I imagine Mindy Kaling was getting a check for her first look deal, you know, of course. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, could clear the books for now, but like, like all the work that you're doing to put this on, to figure out how to make this financially viable, put it towards making your, like paying your writers financially viable, i don't like
1: that's the whole thing it's like understanding exactly how much of the annual gross from one studio that all of the both both guilds their what their asks are going to actually do to them financially it is actually insane when they keep reporting on the fact that oh you know warner brothers has now taken a 300 million dollar hit over the last three and it's like dude they're asking for like 20 million dollars like something so ridiculously low in terms of what they make every single year and i think that the the optics for the studios is at an alt like you can't come back from this type of thing like you just can't like there's no way to spin it and it's funny because I think that Nolan, Christopher Nolan, had like he, he didn't see the writing on the wall, but his departure from Warner Brothers and going to Universal, mm-hmm. I think specifically for Warner Brothers Discovery, was a big kind of like, does Zaslov know what he's doing here? Because, yeah, Christopher Nolan being one of the most profitable filmmakers of all time just full stop leaving because they wouldn't allow him to do what he wanted to do and now them instead of and I think this is not just Warner Brothers it's all the studios doing what you said which is just putting a band-aid on this situation for themselves and not actually helping it is like how long do you guys think this is going to last like what are you prepared for and
0: (laughs) if we do start getting to a place where like nothing's coming out you know yeah Do you think that the general public is going to be like, oh, well, those stupid writers won't stop striking or, oh, well, the stupid actors won't stop striking? I'm like, right. Like the American general public is not going to overall side with a corporation and be like, well, I mean, Warner Brothers just over here trying to make movies and everybody like, you know. Like, it's just Disney. I, you know, the I'm underdog. sure there are I'm sure there Yeah, I'm sure there are some people that have that mentality, but like yeah, you root for the underdog and like if you're talking about Bob Iger who yeah. is bringing home billions and billions of dollars Yeah. versus, you know, the TV episode writer who's, you know, Yeah. moved back in with his mom and is just trying to keep his car payment. Yeah, You know, and just wants to, or is working at like a grocery store so that he can keep the bills paid while while this happens. Like, you know, I don't think, I don't think it's going to go the way you want. And I mean, who knows? Like, we haven't, I feel like we haven't hit the point where this feels real to the general public yet. Because everything's still rolling out. Because there's still stuff coming out and there's still like, you know, whatnot. But like. Next year. Once dude, we get into that, like it's gonna be it's gonna be tough.
1: Well, and I will say, it's starting now. There is no fall TV season. Like it is mm-hmm. now. There's no promotion. There's none of that. And then even obviously into next year, there's not gonna be any big summer movies except for the ones that have been pushed from this year. Like there's not gonna be yeah anything like there really will be nothing and i don't think that like anyone really understands like there is nothing coming except for the things that haven't been released yet like that's the situation yeah. we're in right now there's nothing marvel movies for next well, year well and anything no. yeah <laughs>
0: anything that's in post currently it will probably sure. still hit but like but man it's it's you know
1: what on earth absolutely insane how long do you think this will go just as a parting note? I'm hoping to be done by November, but I honestly don't think I'm,
0: I'm hoping to, I, I mean, the, bi- I like the holiday season. I feel like is the big question. Cause that's a big moneymaker for the yeah. studios yeah. of like Thanksgiving to, to Christmas. Yeah. Um, so I feel like if we don't start to see movement at like the end of October, beginning of November, that means that they've dealt as much as they're going to with like the loss for that holiday season. And we're going to be doing it till January.
1: That's fucking crazy. Which is nuts. Yeah. That's absolutely insane. Oh my God. Oh dear God. It's stressful. Yeah. Stressful. Uh, You know
0: what else is stressful? (laughs) There you go. Horror movies. They sure are. (laughs) So, why don't you why don't you bring us into this one, Josh, uh, since it's kind of uh, your jam. I will provide color commentary here. <laughs> Perfect. I
1: really appreciate that. Thank you for rolling out the red carpet here. Um, so horror movies, as you know, if you've been listening to the podcast, I'm a massive fan of horror movies and have been for a long time, probably longer than I should have been, honestly. I saw some pretty young. Um, <laughs> but it has always fascinated me that – Since I've been alive and since, I mean, for a long, long time, I mean, all the way back to like the Universal Monster movies way back in the day, horror is one of the only genres that has stayed consistently, and I'm going to talk from strictly 2000 to now, consistently profitable across the board. And that is something that I find to be very, very interesting because... Not everybody likes horror movies, they're not always in season, a lot of them are pretty pretty bad, but for some reason, they always make money, no matter when they're put out. And we just saw this recently with The Nun too. we saw it with Talk To Me, we saw it with Barbarian last year, we saw it with the Scream movies, Halloween, with Smile, all those movies Quintupled their budget and some. I mean, Barbarian yeah. was made for four million dollars; it made sixty million dollars. Smile was made for twenty million dollars; it made close to three hundred million dollars. Halloween, you know those movies as well. And this weekend, The Nun Two debuted with an eighty-five million dollar worldwide opening, meaning it has now made more than I think it's like thirty-three in top in terms of like the 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 yearly gross for movies. And I just. There's something about horror, and I'm wanted to ask you as someone who isn't a fan of the genre in any regard, really. Yeah. Is there anything about the genre as a whole that interests you enough? Because I feel like there's not that many people who actually like to to go out and see a horror film, yet everyone seems to, because you're not going to see it twice. Like you've seen the scares, you're not going to go see it again. Yeah. But when we talk about paranormal activity, Insidious, the Conjuring. These movies made 200 million dollars plus. And is it something to do with the spectacle like having an experience that's not the same thing that you have every single night? Like I just Yeah. I don't understand. Like I just don't understand it. Like they're It's well, fucked what you watch on screen. It's really really <laughs> terrible.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, I like I feel like I have to start this conversation with just like a asterisk because like I don't watch horror movies. I have Yeah. no <laughs> interest in watching horror movies yeah horror movies don't do anything for me and I think about this every now and then when I'm like I see these these box offices that are like insane and I just go why yeah but I realize that's me and I feel like here's my jam I feel like with horror movies and I don't think this is limited to horror movies mm-hmm. but there's something I think just with like your brain chemistry when you watch a horror movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where it's like, this is like watching something like this is an experience outside of what you can, what you normally experience. Yeah. 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 You know, like you can talk about dramas, you know, and like sci-fi or fantasy and all that kind of stuff. But like it, it's all a thing that can be, you know, can get your heart rate up for sure. Like action movies and whatnot, but like, There's something about horror that is just like primal almost. Yes, And like when you are in that, your body reacts and like takes you to a place that you're not commonly in. That's Um, exciting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like that's, and like a lot of people grab onto that because like, you know who doesn't want to be taken to a place that like they they don't usually physically go or like you know a a situation of like fear inducing where you're not actually in any danger. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, so I I think a lot of it has to do with the raw emotional response that a horror movie can can mm. grab, and I think there's like a similar kind of thing with comedy movies as well. Sure, where laughing endlessly at a comedy movie releases a ton of endorphins into your body and like, yeah, dopamine, you know, it's kind of like a physical thing. And I don't want to get like, so like, you know, clinical on this and say, it's like, well, it's all about, you know, yeah. Body chemistry. But I think that's a big part of it. And then I think the other part of it that you kind of touched on is like, these movies don't cost anything to make. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Where it's like, it's, it's a product that people are clearly willing to pay for. that like you can i mean paranormal activity would you say the budget on paranormal activity was like
1: fifteen thousand dollars or something like that
0: yeah it's like it's something shot
1: in the director's house yeah
0: yeah like you can make those anxiety or fear inducing moments like cheaply as opposed to like action set pieces where it's like well it doesn't really feel like action if you're not you know driving at high speeds down a road or there's like a drone shot chasing a motorcycle you know right or there's fighter jets flying around get like you know that's expensive stuff yeah but you know you can walk down the street at night in like a fog and be terrified yes you know what i mean and that's like literally just a street you know it's all about atmosphere so
1: Exactly. And that's actually, I was going to ask like, oh, what do you think the difference is between something? Because like, obviously hard genre can be a hard sell no matter what. And I was thinking specifically about sci-fi and fantasy and then yeah. you just hit the nail on the head. That's just way too expensive to do even on a small scale. Sci-fi, I mean, no matter what, like you can make a horror film and we've seen this time and time again with an empty house and a camcorder and it will gross you $200 yeah. million, dollars, like no doubt. Whereas like, you can't really make a sci-fi film for 15,000. I mean, you can, but it's going to show Whereas the Blair Witch project. It's like, yeah. what is there to show? It's just a movie that happened to work. And I don't know what it is about. Well, and I you mean, get
0: into, you get into sci-fi and fantasy and it's like the emotion that you're going for. There is like, awe. you know yeah. what I mean? Which is like, not a, Not a cheap thing to like conjure. Yeah. Something to be awe inspiring. It has to be larger than life, like by definition, you know? So I don't know, man.
1: Yeah. And I think like there's something about horror that, like you said, it doesn't really matter if you're in a theater or sitting on your couch And I think that's also really important. Like I've seen many a horror film where sitting on my couch alone in the dark is scarier than being in a theater full of people. And then vice versa. Like when I saw evil dead rise in the theater with people, Mm -hmm. that was one of the most fun times I've had this year because it was so everyone was just screaming and, Oh my God, like that's so gross. And like just having that kind of experience. But had I seen it on my couch, it would have worked as mm-hmm. well there in a different way. And I think that not a lot of other, like when you see like Marvel movies uh, to bring it all the way back, always to Marvel, <laughs> those don't work super well on your couch. They just don't like some of them are great. Like yeah. Iron Man, like the good movies are good, but since they've been so engineered to be these spectacle theater, crowd pleasing things, it doesn't really work. Whereas I think horror and comedy, like yeah. you said, is one those are two of the only genres that can work really well both directions, you know, with sci-fi epics, it's like, I would rather see that in a theater. Like, Interstellar works way better in a theater than it does on your couch. I love the movie either way, sure. you know. But with horror, you really can kind of see it wherever. And for me, like like you said again, it's the fact that I don't feel fear for my life very often, if, if ever, in my yeah. actual life. And getting to feel those kind of anxiety-inducing moments where there's no real... Danger is like it's attractive to a lot of people and myself included. It's like, oh, what can you do? And then the other thing with horror is you have to be smart about it. The good horror films that work forever. Or ingenious. Like, they're ones that, like, oh, I never thought you could do that. I never would think to do something like that. Oh, you did a scare that I've seen before, but you did it in such a way. And I think filmmakers like James Wan, which, I mean, I I actually should do a list for him. Because I think he is the most profitable filmmaker of all time, potentially. Because, Mm. I mean, every movie he's made, minus, I think, Dead Silence, has made... Over a hundred million dollars. Like, that's just the way he does. And yeah. his movies cost not like Insidious cost like a million dollars and made 106 million, you know? Yeah. Um, even his big movies, it's like, oh, you know, you got a 200 million dollar budget. Oh, it makes a billion, you know, those type of things. <laughs> yeah. So,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Horror, I don't think will ever go anywhere. It is tried and true. And for some reason, like all the reasons we've laid out, people just want to see that shit. Like, they're people are yeah. sickos, man, myself included. Like, let's watch. Some crazy shit go down and get scared. Well,
0: and her. like, that's the thing, too, is like, and, you know, I'm very aware that the reason I don't like horror movies is because my reaction to being scared is to become hyper analytical. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so like that, I mean, it like, that's the thing is the horror movies I do watch it's doing it to me like it's yeah. doing what it's doing to everybody else. I just don't deal with it in a way that's like <laughs> compatible with like the intention. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I'm like I become I not like I, I definitely know even when I'm watching that I'm like I am being too cutthroat with this movie. Right. <laughs> but like, I don't want to sit in this scary thing. So I'm going to be like, look at this fucking bullshit lighting here. And it's like, it's fine. You know what I mean? There's right, been right. way worse than other movies, but I'm like, Ugh, yeah. God, why would this person do this? Why? But, you know, script right. issues, script issues. But right. Yeah. I think you're totally right. I don't think it's going anywhere. And I don't think it's going to get diluted like comedy has where comedy kind of has to get folded into another genre now. Right. Um, Although I feel like we're kind of coming back from that. Yeah. You know, I feel like there's been some top tier comedies this past uh past this year.
1: This year has been really, really strong, weirdly yeah. enough.
0: Um, um But uh yeah, I mean I like I said, I don't think it's going anywhere. I think um it will elevate. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if it kind of separates where it's like the good gets really, really good and then the bad gets like way worse. Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah it's weird because like the bottom shelf for a horror movie, I actually have a lot of time for cause it's so like, cause at one point evil dead was the bottom shelf for horror. Like the, yeah. it's like things change so frequently and you know, horror is one of those movies that you can kind of put any story onto and make it an allegory or do whatever you want to. And um, so I, that's an interesting question. I don't know. It's because like, yeah hereditary is elevated horror but it's still a fucking ghost story like it's not it's no different than the conjuring is you know in a certain way it's like it's a little bit better made sure but yeah it's hard that's the other thing is yeah i don't know what the tears are for horror like
0: (laughs) i don't know but i don't know how many like new scary things we're coming up with sure you know like i feel like all of the things i see and again grain of sulfur i'm saying but are like variations on something totally you know what i mean like last voyage of the demeter like yeah vampires
1: dracula on a boat you know or
0: ghosts or like werewolves or slasher serial killer yeah slasher yeah 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 yeah. um demon yeah you know and like which you know all of those things i think are (laughs) huge categories you know (laughs) like saying ghost is not like a oh oh i know exactly what means by ghost but like right right i don't know it'd be interesting to see somebody make something new scary yeah
1: yeah Yeah. well and i think ari aster kind of does that a little bit especially with midsommar i I have a challenge for you because i know that jess likes horror movies so Mm -hmm. i think that you and her should watch barbarian together yeah. Yeah, I do. Cuz it's not like like it's scary. When I when I was in the theater, I'm like this is fucking scary, but it's like there's something so new school about it and so funny mm. and so like it, the filmmaking is just so good that I think that you'll I think there's something to take away that you will take away from it other than like oh it's scary. And yet there's holes in it and it's ridiculous, but I'd like to hear what you think about Barbarian. Okay
0: yeah (laughs) it's interesting well it's interesting because i'm like i fully know that like any horror movie i've seen i'm sure i've given a terrible shitty review of (laughs) you know what i mean where i'm like yeah this is garbage People are like no this is like a masterpiece i'm like okay whatever sure yeah yeah, but like i don't i i can take that challenge
1: not that you have to do it by next week but it's something i'm
0: good as soon as we hang up yeah (laughs) you're gonna watch Um, (laughs) barbarian
1: but yeah okay yeah, I just I there's a I'll make a list for you cuz like there's some that I'm like yeah, this is and I'll make some classical picks. I'll I'll I'll, I'll curate a little a little list for you. Um, okay, all right. Um but speaking of movies that kind of run the gamut between good and bad and whether good and yeah. bad is a good indicator of anything Rotten tomatoes. My favorite yeah. site in the whole world obviously as you all know. Um, trust it with my life. <laughs> It's been a scandal recently that I saw on Twitter, on X. Yes. Sorry. No, I'm going to dead name it. It's Twitter. Um, (laughs) That was talking about Rotten Tomatoes as a whole, but they also were talking about the fact that people might be paying others to artificially inflate numbers and ratings and scores, which I learned a lot about Rotten Tomatoes doing some digging. because Yeah. Critics are very, very hand-picked. Like, you can't just be a critic on Rotten Tomatoes. You have to have credentials, you know, which is interesting. Credentials, quote-unquote.
0: Quote-unquote, yeah.
1: Because I kind of was like, well, anyone can kind of do anything. Where are they picking these critic reviews from? Whatever. It is what it is. Did you read—the article I sent you was super long, so I don't assume that you read the whole thing.
0: I got through most of it.
1: okay. Okay.
0: I have I have a good sense and I read a couple other things to to supplement but
1: okay cool well the whole thing but about Bunker 15
0: which was yes. this
1: movie promotional kind of company that would do like I said promo for movies which in I don't remember the year I think it was 2017 maybe
0: 2018
1: 2018 they were yeah. promoting a specific movie. I'm not going to necessarily call it out here because I don't, I haven't seen it, and I don't want to besmirch anyone here. Sure. They, that movie opened with not so favorable reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Bunker 15 was hired, and what they did was they carefully picked out critics that were more obscure, but that still had standing on Rotten Tomatoes, and paid mm-hmm. them money. Not necessarily to give good reviews, but it was tipped that direction to be like, yeah, this money will come to hey. you if you do something favorable for us.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Which kind of gives a whole new look on Rotten Tomatoes. And the only reason I'm bringing this up now is because within the last five, I think it's been the last five years, Rotten Tomatoes scores are used in movie trailers. Yeah. Rotten Tomatoes scores are used like as like a you should or should not see this like that's the first thing that's posted
0: yeah and that's questionable at best well and it's <laughs> wild too because it's either like you know 100 on rotten tomatoes or 90 right. 90 on rotten tomatoes or 95 on rotten tomatoes but you also right. see like certified fresh right. or i mean i no one advertises if it's not certified fresh but certified fresh means i want to say it was what set 60% or higher.
1: Yeah. Like not a rating. fail. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Which like, you know, a 60% is like not a great score, yeah. you know, but uh, you know, a lot of this has to do with how Rotten Tomatoes is structured because yeah, 60% is certified fresh. Right. Which, you know, people conjure whatever they want when you have a yes or no kind of thing. Right. So there's like, yeah, the whole thing with the pay- bunker 15 paying for, quote unquote good reviews like is wildly problematic and that's just one company Um, like who knows and that's just one company but also it's one of those like it brings to light that there are reviewers certified for rotten tomatoes that are not bound by like an ethics code You know what I mean? And I don't even mean like, you know, mentally, but like in terms of, I mean, if you work for a big review, if you work for, you know, I mean, I'll say like Vox or The Verge or anything like that. You're bound by an ethics code to not accept gifts on, you know, for certain things. Be a journalist. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Be a journalist, like journalistic integrity and all that kind of stuff. Um, And like, you know, (laughs) That's all good for the, the big things. But if you're a guy who runs like a small blog that, you know, you just love writing about. Movie. I mean, like if you were to take not that we're, you know, part of Rotten Tomatoes, but if you were to take us and not yeah. that we would do this, but like, sure, you know, we're a small podcast that puts out content every week, reviews movies, like, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. But we are not bound by any jur- journalistic ethics code. So like, right. You know,
1: we could be um, bought is what you're saying.
0: Yeah, I, I will totally pay, <laughs> sell my uh, reviews for, no, no. Um, but uh, like, so that's part one is like companies are willing to pay for good reviews, which like, like fuck capitalism and all that. But like, yeah, like no shit. Like, yeah, of course. You know like, what I mean? Literally. I'm sure everyone does it. Yeah. Um, but like Ron Tomatoes counting those reviews and having no, I don't know. From this article, I take a much bigger issue with Rotten Tomatoes as a whole than yeah. the situation. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, it, like, it's all over. And I don't think anyone's wildly surprised about this, but it's it's wildly broken. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like you get a yes or a no, certified fresh or not certified fresh. Like, that's the ratings. is like good or bad. There's yeah, so not like
1: IMDb, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's not IMDb where like the reviewer is going, well, I like this part, but not this part. So I give it like a 75%. You know what I mean? It's either like yes or no. And that yes or no is then just like tabulated across all of the critics and then divided by the number of reviews. And that's the score. Yeah. Which is incredibly rudimentary and like not a great indicator of how good something is, especially when you talk about something as complex as film.
1: Yes. As an art form, a medium as ridiculously complex. And Paul Schrader actually has a quote in the piece. And I think Tarantino might've as well, where they're basically like, if there's no review attached, you can't take it as anything. I mean, if they're not going to lay out exactly what they didn't like about this, then why should I even bother reading? Why should I even look at the score? You're not even going to give me the courtesy of telling me why you are saying you didn't like this. So I'm not going to be taking it seriously, which is the whole point of Rotten Tomatoes is just to be like, yeah, I liked it or didn't like it. And I will say that, like, yes, you can't just make an account and say yes or no. You actually have to prove that you've seen the movie, which I think is interesting. You have to show like, you have, in fact, bought a ticket to this movie, which I think is interesting. But still... It's not, it's just, I mean, it's a problem I run into with Letterboxd a lot recently. It's like the fact that it's getting more popular is not a good thing because most people don't think critically about movies. And most people are just like, yeah, "Yeah, it's a one star because like, you know, I didn't like that one person in it. And it's like, that's, you know, come on. Like,
0: (laughs) so. Flash five stars because I love all DC movies.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Because I liked what the VFX in it or whatever. It's like, it's just like, I, it's so crazy to me. And yeah i am all for people getting their voice out there but at the same time I'm like it's it, it this is people's jobs this is people's livelihoods this is yeah. someone's life's work that you're gonna just say nah rotten because i didn't like the song that was in the credit sequence or something like that literally happened yeah and I'm just like the fact that it's used in trailers and used in promotion is like dude we've lost the three yeah what are we talking about <laughs> this has nothing to do well, with the and movie. I,
0: And I've seen comparisons between like this and like Siskel and Ebert of being like, oh, thumbs up, thumbs down, you know, two thumbs up, two thumbs down, which like also there were levels to that because like sometimes they gave one thumb up. You know what I mean? Like everyone always hears two thumbs up, but like sometimes it was one thumb up. Sometimes it was like Siskel was up and Ebert was down and like there was like depth to that. But also like Siskel and Ebert are some of the most like trusted and like dependable movie critics Ever. Ever like you can trust that extremely they know movie literate, about. yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you can <laughs> trust that they have like the integrity to like contemplate this in depth. And I mean, we've talked about this before, where like opinion just becoming fact in in movie reviews and things like that, and just like that kind of stuff. But like, it, it seems to me, I am pro Rotten Tomatoes having bad press
1: sure because i think we very much mo- so we
0: need to move away from this like you know and it, it, like and i'm just as guilty like i saw something the other day and i was like oh shit 100 percent on to- rotten tomatoes and then i looked i'm like oh because it hasn't come out yet and it has six reviews yeah you know what i mean like i think we did that right. live on the pod actually but like yeah i think it was um i think it was you are so not invited to my bat mitzvah
1: Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it was like we, I was when when you were announcing that, I was like, "What is this movie?" And I looked, it was hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I was like, "Must be really they? good." <laughs> um, it turned out it was pretty
1: good, but like you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm looking it up on Rotten Tomatoes now.
1: Yeah, I wonder what it's at. I feel like it's in like this. It's
0: now. It's now at ninety two percent. It's pretty good. You know, but like seventy three reviews. What? Yeah, like
1: pretty good as opposed to what, like, like, like what?
0: <laughs> yeah. So,
1: it's just a nothing it's wild. metric.
0: Like, it's in in this era of big data, like the fact that analysis of this kind of stuff is so rudimentary on Rotten Tomatoes, and Rotten Tomatoes yeah. is such so an impactful metric is yeah. insane. You know the fact that, like, I mean, even like just weighting the ratings differently. You know what I mean? Like, if you're Roger Ebert, like, like just say your review counts for, like, 20 reviews. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? Just, like, weight, weight the heavyweights of the movie review industry. Movie right. review industry? Movie critic industry? Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah. Weight the strength, the power of, like, the major movie critics and, like, that gives you such a more balanced kind of thing than Roger Ebert's review counting as much as ours. Right. Yes. You know, that's an insane statement. And I say that loving doing this podcast, but that's like insane to say that anything we say on this would ha- come anywhere close to to having the same weight as one of his reviews.
1: Oh, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. And I agree. It's Like, the more I I love that people can get their opinions out there, but I think that culture, especially American culture, is so, what's the word? It's so explosive and ready to just fight that, I mean, even about all the controversy that's come out of Hollywood the last, like, week or so, I'm not going to name any names here, but, like, it is so, like, every tweet is if you like this person, you're a terrible person. If you like the other person, you're a terrible person. If you've seen, like it is literally, there's no gray area. There's no, you know, like opinion. It's all just fact. And when it comes to movies, it's like, yeah, I've seen, you know, if you like the Flash, like you're a bad person. You know, if you like the Flash, then you don't know cinema. If you, if you dislike the Flash, you don't know cinema. And it's like, it's an, yeah. It's, can we not just like what we like and not like what we don't like? Like, I'm just so done yeah. with the discourse. It's, this is not what movies are supposed to be dissected, but not right or wrong. Movies are so much more yeah. complex. It's not binary. Yeah. And right, like you said, Rotten Tomatoes is bringing it down to a good or a bad. And it's like, that's not what the fuck movies are, dude. Every movies are complex yeah. as shit. You like them and you hate them at the same time. And that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Like,
0: so, absolutely. There was one quote, um, in in that article we're talking about um paul schrader schrader um so he, he gave a quote and this is i read some reviews of my own films where the writer might say that he doesn't think that i pulled something off but boy is it interesting the way that i didn't pull it off and to him that's a good review but it would count as negative and it's like that's the kind of thing is like this didn't work but damn I is something it. that can't be captured in a yes or no you know what i mean like it can't be brought down to one number and it's 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 tough because you do need that metric people's attention span is too short to be like well let me like go look and see what 15 different critics say and you know all that kind of stuff just like give me the number 100% right. i mean and like i think it's amazon prime has the rotten tomato score embedded in the listing for the movies and you're like yeah there it is you know? Yeah. Like that it's that's the thing is and this is I think a good spot to like circle the plane and land on, is yeah, like this stuff is so embedded in Hollywood, you know, mm-hmm. and in this review culture that it's just like like you couldn't just pull rotten tomatoes out.
1: No. No. You
0: know what I mean? Because it is a standard metric that we've all kind of just agreed is a standard metric somehow Uh, but it's just like not it's just problematic
1: it is yeah and i just want to leave on this shout out to i think i believe it was joanna robinson at the ringer network uh she basically said like in this day and age when there's nothing but just white noise everywhere find the critics that you trust And, you know, you don't have to – I mean, nobody's going to 100% agree with everyone. But find the critics that you trust and listen to them. You know, if you're going to listen to anyone, find the people that you trust about your taste in movies. Because it's everyone is different. Like, the best movies of all time are hated by some people that know what they're talking about. And it's totally valid. And I think that's like – Movies aren't good or bad. They're just, they, they exist. And I think we need to get away from this whole, like, oh, this is great. This is bad. Like the room is the best movie of all time to some people. And the Godfather is the worst movie of all time to some people. And they're not wrong. Like it's not a right or wrong type yeah. of thing, you know? So
0: citizen Kane, I think is a great example there you of, that, go. of just like citizen Kane is undeniably a fantastic movie, but also kind of a terrible movie. Yeah.
1: And people hate
0: it. You know what I mean? And it just depends on, you know, you know, what you say
1: yeah so yeah don't take rotten tomato seriously don't take imdb ratings don't take letterbox ratings seriously make your own like, curation
0: dis- is the yeah. is the name curation is where i think yes we need to go is find the people like you're saying find the people you trust and like build your lists off of those three people four people five yeah. people use them as the metric for because here's the thing is like, if that's the sense there's room for all of the people that are on Rotten Tomatoes, you know, right. you just have to build your audience. And then like, there you go. But throwing it all together in one big melting pot just doesn't do anything justice.
1: Exactly. So. Yep. Agreed. <sighs> people are just wait. They want to be right. That's it. And there is no right or wrong with art. And that's the problem. Yeah. People are just like, fuck it.
0: <sighs> and here's the thing. I'll, I'll leave it on this. Like, Rotten Tomatoes, just like update your metrics. You know what I mean. Like Rotten Tomatoes doesn't have to go away. Just like no. embrace the complexity of the number that you're trying to get to. Right. You know what I mean? Because it's not just yes or no, and then divide by the like count the number of yays divided by the total number of reviews is like a child's answer.
1: That's Netflix accounting. You're a
0: you. hu- you're a huge company, like add some complexity
1: a huge company that actually has serious pull in the industry like it, yeah. it, it's not like <laughs> it's not an inconsequential thing which is just nuts.
0: and i don't think you'll see anybody that would not want to see a more complex thing involved like that only helps you know it's going to pull down some stuff but like but it's going to be a better representation of why exactly
1: <sighs> yes land the plane there you go.
0: <laughs> Land the plane, Willis.
1: After 15 different... Okay, last thing is...
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> oh, God.
0: Stop talking. End of
1: pod. <laughs> there we go. End of pod. Uh, well, that was an all over the place episode, but that's what happens when everyone's on strike, hey. guys. Yeah. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, but uh, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll yeah. keep you updated on what's going on in the industry. and bef- and uh, Until what then... We do. Should we do some recommendations here? Yes. This is a weird. This one. was really hard. It was, and mine is hilarious. Oh my God.
0: Oh. Um, so our prompt this week is fairly simple. Um yeah. it's mid-September. Uh we're talking yeah. about movies that remind you of fall. Yeah. Um which can go which, any direction. <laughs> which could go any direction. And annoyingly so that like the first Maybe six I came up with. We'd already recommended. I know. <laughs> so I, like, I know. <laughs> um. So oh, why good. don't uh, why don't you go first here? Um. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna shout out my wife's pick too because yes, I landed on mine and then she said hers and I was like, "Fuck, that's so good."
1: That's um, way better. <laughs> Should Jesses go first then?
0: Sure. Yeah. So, uh, my wife's recommendation for movies that remind her of fall is The Fox and the Hound.
1: Oh, it's so. That's so. Oh, that's great. It's a great segue into mine. It's fantastic. <laughs>
0: All right. Yeah. there you go. So Fox and the Hound, um, animated feature from...
1: Oh, forever ago, man. Right? 1981. Jeez, man.
0: Um, So long, long ago, Kurt Russell and Mickey Rooney. Um, yeah. And like a bunch of other people. But I yeah. mean, the Fox and the Hound, just like that classic Disney g movie um and i don't know why this reminds me of fall so much but it does
1: right that's a great one.
0: um i suppose I really it's think fall based but i don't know where she pulled it from but i was like damn
1: and that's the point so of these prompts, just prompts it's like what do you exactly what do you think what 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 do you feel out of this and yeah. kind of piggybacking off of that the movie that I guess this was the second movie that came to mind. Uh, it's a movie that I have not seen in a very long time. It's a movie from 1997. It is a children's movie for sure. It is uh, Winnie the Pooh's Grand Adventure: The Search for Christopher Robin, which is a movie from oh. 1997 that I owned on VHS. It must have been
0: also really that my
1: good, mom, yeah. yeah, that my mom. I, I guess my mom owned it. She she gave it to us, and it was <laughs> it. This movie is about. Christopher Robin going back to school and his pals not really understanding what that means and going on this wild adventure mm-hmm. to try and find him and them thinking that school is spelt skull. So they're like, oh, my God, it's this whole horrific thing. And it's just this like hilarious kind of misadventure that is both innocent and loving and also like really, really distressing and kind of scary like there are moments where you're Mm. just like oh my god like the ending that like there's something to do with them being trapped and it's just like I remember feeling like, whoa, this there's something here. And I have not seen this movie in a very long time, but I have seen this movie probably close to twenty times at this point. It's classic Winnie the Pooh and toes the line between being fun and actually being kind of harrowing, which I love. And Winnie the Pooh has that like whimsical nature where you're kind of it's like fantasy, so anything can happen, Mm -hmm. which I loved as a kid, where you're like, you know, they go to dreamland or whatever. But this movie is hilarious, it's ridiculous, the art is absolutely stunning, and it's a movie that I will remember probably for the rest of my life, because I've seen it very a, a, quite a few times, um, and obviously it's back to school, it's September, it's fall, it's a classic fall yeah. movie, where the seasons are changing, and they're trying to figure out what to do about it, and it's that change of seasons, but also the change of being a person, like going back to school, growing up, like all of that type of stuff, and uh, yeah. I love this movie. Still love it. So it's on Disney plus right now. So check it out. You know, Pooh, nice. Pooh's grand adventure. The search for Christopher Robin is my recommendation nice. for this week.
0: Awesome. Uh, I am calling it audible. Oh, because talking about that made me think of another one that oh. honestly, I think fits, fits better. Gives me, gives me fall vibes. Yeah. Um, but uh i i will say probably not as much as the one i had but oh. i want to be part of the group uh, <laughs> so <laughs> i'm going to sure. i'm going to re- recommend a movie from 1987 called the brave little toaster
1: oh yes
0: the brave little toaster uh a toaster a lamp a radio a vacuum and a electric blanket i believe
1: mm-hmm.
0: um finding themselves stranded in their summer home so maybe this is not a uh That's okay. So much a fall movie, but like decides to leave their home and seek out a, their young master. Um, Yeah. This movie, I, I mean, this movie came out in 1987. I saw this when I was wildly young. I have like, (laughs) I remember like, I mean, I've seen it since. So I, like, I know this story, but like, I remember just like shapes from this. I have that just like baseline, like experience of this movie yeah um and this movie is arguably terrifying Mm -hmm. um in a weird way there is there is scary shit going on there um yeah but like there's also something i i mean maybe there's just something about like animated films you know of that kind of era that just feel cozy which i think is like a big thing from a fall is just like feeling you know warm and Toasty inside, like
1: absolutely.
0: Yeah. The Brave Little Toaster. I mean, just looking at I mean, like John Lovitz, Phil Hartman,
1: Phil Hartman. D&D Stack. Yeah. Oh my god. Um I've
0: not seen Brave Brave this movie in
1: like 15 plus years. Like
0: <laughs> Yeah. Um, I think there was two follow-ups Brave Little Toaster to the Rescue and The Brave Old Toaster Goes to Mars. I don't think um, I've seen that. But also, Mars like, one. I don't think the Mars one was 98. Um, mm. To the Rescue was 97. So these gotcha. are like a decade later. So, like, you know, I a grain of salt that. Of sure. How much it's like the originals. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Brave Little Toaster, man. I want to watch that movie now, but it is only available on disc from Amazon.
1: Sounds like you got to buy some physical media, my friend.
0: No, I'm wrong. It's available on, you can rent it in standard def on Amazon
1: (laughs) for what? Like four bucks. (laughs) Yeah. Classic.
0: Or you can buy it for 10 bucks.
1: Well, that is a great triple feature guys. Not going to lie. That is a great triple Um, feature. Not just because they're all children's films, but they're all actually quality and they all have something to do with finding something out about yourself, which I think is really interesting. (laughs) yeah oh god Uh,
0: all right awesome love it love it. good audible i'm keeping my other one in the pocket though yes
1: we'll do some more fall themed stuff in the next month or two so
0: well yeah that was that was tough because like my initial thought was the nightmare before christmas which we clearly recommended yeah Um, beetlejuice which we've clearly recommended yep but (laughs) um all right That'll do it. Let's bring it home. Josh, yeah. where can people find you on the internet?
1: Uh, people can find me on the internet on both Instagram and Letterboxd at Josh J. Fuller. And where can people find you,
0: Willis? You can find me on Instagram and Letterboxd at Willis Film. And if you want to find the podcast, you can find us at Pixelsplitters.com. Yeah. Or on Letterboxd and Instagram at Pixelsplitters. Yeah. All right. Easy. There we go. Done. This is the part where we promise listeners that a uh, megapixels is coming eventually. It is coming. Um, yeah, <laughs>
1: that's all we can say. Maybe
0: next week. Maybe Could not. Maybe next we'll week. See. We'll see field. if we can get our
1: yeah, if we can get our act together. It will be next week. We'll <laughs> see what happens. So,
0: <sighs> and um, I think we should just uh, bail out and say end of pop.